Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Samuel 1. You can also look up at the screen here as we read this uh, passage of Scripture. You guys got it back there, Ian? All right. Okay. So there's a couple words in here. Bear with me. I don't speak Hebrew or Greek. Um, And (laughs) these names are intense, but we're going to get through it together, okay? All right. So this is the story of the birth of Samuel. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephratai, who had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from this city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Pen- Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, um, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, Then I will give to the Lord, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I am a troubled woman in, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. The woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So the title of my sermon this morning is Desperate and Dependent. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for all that you're doing in this city. I thank you for all you're doing in this community. And I ask this morning that your voice and your words would be heard and felt and that our hearts would be fertile soil to receive the word that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so we have here in 1 Samuel a bit of context to this. We have Elkanah. He has two wives, and the first one is Peninnah, and the second one is Hannah. And as you can see, there's already a lot of confusion and conflict here, probably as a result of polygamy (laughs) and the kind of rivalry that came with that. But Peninnah was able to have children. She was, it says she bore many children, many sons, many daughters. And then you have Hannah who's barren and has been trying hard for years to conceive and is unable to get pregnant and have children. And the name Peninnah in Hebrew actually means corner, like a sharp edge, like a sharp edge that you bump your shoulder on as you're walking around the corner. Okay. And it says, as we were reading in the passage that she irritated Hannah and made her grieve in her heart. How many of you have any pinanas in, in your life? Or you've had that type of person, that person that rubs you the wrong way, no matter what they do, you're irritated. They make your grieve and your blood boil a little bit. Come on, you can all be honest here. If you've ever had that, you know. And then, um, then we have Hannah. And her name means to show favor, to be greatly blessed, to have grace upon your life, to be gracious. And yet... She doesn't have any kids. You know, how many of us have been put in a position where we feel like, wow, God has blessed me so much. I have so much favor on my life. The doors are open. And then you look at someone else and you're like, wait a second. I'm no way near as blessed as they look and appear. Anyone ever had that too? And there's, you know, there's something about, as as Kelly was sharing, there's something that God has just been stirring in our hearts about the word desperation, and being desperate for God and being dependent on God and what that looks like. We're in a, we're in a world where things are changing and shifting constantly. Where if you read the news, if you talk to anyone in the, um, the financial world, in the business world, they're like, buckle up. It's going to be a, this great recession that's headed our way. And there's often, um, this thing in our hearts that can get scared and we are fearful of the future and we're clinging to, you know, the savings in our bank account versus being desperate and dependent on God and what he's going to do and what he's going to do in this season. And it's easy to read the news and see, oh, shooting in Raleigh. And for us to be, um, for us to think that the darkness is getting darker. But how many of you guys know that in when the darkness looks like it's getting darker, it's an opportunity for the light to shine even brighter. Amen. And we are with Jesus. We are the light to the world. And There's a stirring and a hunger, especially too, as this next generation is coming up for something real and authentic. And I was crying out to God the other week and I was just saying, I was actually driving on the way to church and I started crying and I said, God, I do not want to do church. Like, I don't want to play church for the next 50 years. I can't do it. I want something real. I want something authentic. I don't want to just come and warm my seat in a chair and do what I do and play the formula in my head. I'm actually hungry and I'm desperate for something more. Does anyone else feel this this morning? First service. Come on. There's something about Smith Wigglesworth says there's something about believing in God that will make him pass over 1 million people just to find you. And if you're not desperate for God, and if you're not dependent on God, then we got to check ourselves. Okay. So this morning, as we, as we dive into this, let your heart just be open and let your hunger just stir. Amen. Amen. There's something about desperation and this heart posture of desperation 
that is irresistible to God, that is irresistible to the oil of the spirit, that God looks upon the desperate and it's irresistible to him. So what does desperation mean? I did as any good preacher does. I Googled it. (laughs) All right. So there's two ways that we can look up the meaning of a word. There's the way the world defines a word, and then there's the way the Bible defines a word. And it's good to look at both things so that you can choose which one you like better, okay? (laughs) Well, not which one you like better, but which one suits, you know, the heart you're going at. Because there's a lot of things that the world defines, and you're like, that is not what God defines. Because the world is changing a lot of definitions right now that is not what God has designed. So Merriam-Webster, it says this in the dictionary of what desperation means. Having lost hope, moved by despair, extreme suffering, and intense anxiety. So I don't think anyone here wants that, all right? That's that's not what I want. (laughs) I read that and I was like, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. (laughs) That is not what I want. I was like, okay, I'm gonna look at the Bible definition because I know it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a blessing. It's gonna be amazing. And I'm, I'm hitting the online books and I'm like, okay, desperation. All right. And I'm going through every single word definition, old Testament, new Testament. And I'm coming up and I'm like, oh my gosh, it means the exact same thing as in the dictionary. It means having lost hope, moved by despair, extreme suffering and intense anxiety. And I know that we're a charismatic Pentecostal church. And when we use a revival word like desperation, we're all like, woo, Shaba. Father, yes, Lord. Someone preaches that and everyone's like, come on. But desperation is messy. Desperation is uncomfortable. It's inconvenient because desperate people make everybody else uncomfortable. Have you guys ever encountered a desperate person before? There may be some of us where someone's standing on the street corner and they're, they're, I guess, begging for food or for money. And what do we do? Sometimes we can drive up and it's like, or you walk past someone, there's a homeless person on the street and you might just try and walk the other way. Or there's someone crying out in the middle of church, groaning and moaning at the front. And we're all like, oh man, this is the one Sunday I brought my friend. Come on. Can they just be normal, please? Because desperation makes us uncomfortable. But let me give you a better definition of desperation from the Bible of what we just read in 1 Samuel. There's eight different characteristics of the state of the soul of Hannah as we read that story, all right? She was deeply distressed, weeps bitterly, afflicted, appears drunk, gets rebuked by her pastor, Has that ever happened to you? You're up on the front, you're in the middle of worship, you're going hard, you're desperate for God, and then someone comes up to you and they said, okay, it's time now for us to take up our tithes and offerings. Can you just move to the back, please? And you're like, come on, I'm going hard after God here. All right, just me, that's happened to me. All right, troubled in spirit, anxious, and she refers to herself as vexed, which means angry. How many of us can identify with these characteristics? You know, maybe it's not right now, but maybe you've been there before, been anxious, angry, afflicted, troubled in your heart and spirit. But we can turn these things into 
a posture of something that's going to move the heart of God and turn it into something that we can offer to God. And our desperation is actually fertile soil for God to do something in us. It's actually, it's actually laying the ground for God to come and plant something in us that can bear fruit. And the tendency in desperation is for us to actually separate ourselves and isolate ourselves from other people, from the house of God, from God and him, himself, his spirit, and to actually um, to hide away. But we can actually turn those characteristics of desperation into action and into something else. Because turn to your neighbor and say, I am a powerful person. I can choose to walk in victory. Amen? We are the heads and not the tails. We are victors and not victims. When we find ourselves in a place of that troubled in spirit, anxiety, desperation, it's actually an opportunity for us to turn it into action to give to God something. So here's what Hannah does and what is produced in the soul of Hannah as a result of her desperation. Fasting. She goes to God's house. It wasn't even church. She is praying on the porch. She doesn't even get let into the temple in the house of the Lord. She prays to the Lord. She makes a vow. We start to make promises. She says, I, Lord, just give me a son. I'll even give him back to you. Just give me a son. She petitions and she pours out her soul to God. And all of this is happening in a very public place. Notice how her husband sees it. Her sister wife sees it. Her Eli sees it. None of this is like just her in her secret place. This is her and her desperation in a very public way, in a very public place. Because when you're that desperate, you don't care who's watching. You don't care what's happening. You don't care who's in your way. You're like, I'm going to go hard after God. I'm going to be crying out here at the front. I don't care who videos me. I don't care who turns me into a meme. I don't care who makes fun of me behind my back. I'm going hard after God. Get out of my way. I'm desperate. That's what desperation does. It makes us uncomfortable. And Jesus, all over the New Testament, we see that he, he turns away people who come to him and he, he rebukes them, people who pursue him out of these well-thought-out motivations and these religious people who are, you know, using the Torah to, you know, come at him. He rebukes them and he turns them away. But he never turns away someone who comes to him desperate and hungry for a miracle. You guys notice that? Even, he even got close, that story in Matthew 15, where there's the Canaanite woman who is afflicted by demons, and she comes to Jesus, and he says to her, you know, people are like, he called her a dog. But what does she say? She says to him, she doesn't take no for an answer, because desperation doesn't take no for an answer. She could have lost the opportunity for the one solution she saw in Jesus to walk away and get offended, But she says to him, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And he says to her in that moment, he, he, he receives what she says and he turns it into a blessing and he rebukes the demons. He casts out the demons that have been afflicting her and he sends her on her way and she's healed and set free forever because that's what Jesus does. When we come to him in our desperation, he gives us a blessing And then in Luke 8, 
the woman where Jesus is walking in the crowds and there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and she's just like, if I can just touch the hem of the garment of this man, Jesus, then maybe I'll be healed. And she touches his, his coat and Jesus is like, stops in a crowd and he's like, who touched me? And they're like, there's like thousands of people here. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Everyone touched you. And he's like, no, who touched me? I felt like he felt power leave him. And she's, you know, she's there and she's like, I'm sorry, Lord. And he says, woman, your faith has healed you. Because there's something about getting desperate for before God when we're contending for something that we've been believing for, when we're just hungry in our hearts for more of him, where Jesus turns to us and he gives us a blessing and he shows favor to us and he answers our call and he answers our prayer. And desperation, it, like I said before, it finds us irresistible to God. It's a a perfect opportunity for God to move and bring a miracle in us. It produces faith and it produces dependency on him. And blessed are those who mourn. For the Lord says you will be comforted. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For the kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessed are those who hunger and what? Thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Those are the promises to us. Blessed are those when we, when we allow our hearts to be in a position, even if it's not joy towards God, even if it's a place of mourning and sadness, even if it's a place of hunger and thirstiness and desperation, God comes and he blesses us because that's who he is. Amen. (laughs) In the Psalms, it says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And then David goes on to say, the sacrifices that you have given, he's not talking here about your tithes, about your offerings, about what you've given on the online platform. He says, no, you, uh, what you have given a broken and a contrite spirit, broken and a contrite heart towards God. There's desperation, dependency. It's when we say, God, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have any solutions. I need a supernatural intervention from the Holy Spirit. Will you meet me here in my desperation? I need you, God. So here's what happened to Hannah after all this. Eli blessed her, and she received peace. Her prayers were answered. She got favor. She got to break her fast. Hallelujah. Amen. Nothing like when you break that fast. Nothing like fasting, but nothing like the, you know, the meal after. She's no longer sad. She freely worships. The Lord remembers her. She conceives and give birth, gives birth, and she knows my prayers have been answered. That's the type of blessing that desperation produces. Come on, say it with me. Lord, make us desperate. Turn to someone and say, make, make us desperate. Like, do we mean it? I mean, it's, it's scary, the thought of saying that. It's one of those prayers where you're like, do I want to pray this? Do I actually want what happens after this? Because we're looking at this story and we're like, if that's what desperate looks like, I don't want that. <laughs> that's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to make others uncomfortable. I don't want to make myself uncomfortable. This is like too far out of my own comfort zone. But that's the kind of, these are the kind of blessings that come from a place of desperation. And desperation isn't saying, God, I want to be 
put me in a bad scenario, Lord. Like I, you know, I want to lose my job. So I'm desperate and dependent on you financially, Lord. That's not what I'm saying. Because usually when we're in that place of desperation, it's usually because we're in some sort of pickle or bad scenario. But it's like, God, put people in my life that are also desperate so that I don't become dispossessed from desperation. I don't want to be so comfortable in my life that I'm removed from desperation. Like if I'm not in a bad place, Lord, and I'm not desperate and hungry for you in that, surround me with people, Lord, that I can sit with, that I can mourn with, that I can say, your God is my God. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to cry with you. We're going to get through this together. I'm with you. And then pray for God to send people who will do that for you when you're in that place. Desperation is a posture that gets blessed. Not arrogance, not pride, but desperation where we say, okay, God, I don't have it all together or I'm struggling or I need you or God, I've become complacent and I'm actually make me want you more. I love that Aaron said that last week where he used to pray that and we still pray that sometimes, but it's like, God, make me want to want you more. God, I want to hunger after you. God, I want to thirst after you. And if your belly's full, your belly, your spiritual belly, if your spirit is full, just say, God, I want to be hungry after you. I want to be in a place of dependency on you. Even though my bank account is full, even though my belly is full, I still want to be desperate for you. And if you were not in that place, it's saying, God, I don't want to become bitter. I don't want to become angry. Hannah could have t- at any moment after years and years of wanting to get pregnant and watching uh, Penina be pregnant over and over and over again, her heart could have been cold and stone and turned away from God. But what does she do? She uses that place of desperation to come and worship him and say, God, this is where I'm at. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm bitter, but I'm going to turn it into worship because I know that you're going to bless me. I know that no matter what, you're still God. Amen. So here are some things that distract us from desperation. The distraction of the double portion. You guys are like, hold up. (laughs) Double portion, another revival word. We're all like double portion. Come on. But the double portion is a good thing unless it distracts us, unless it becomes a distraction. See, Elkanah, he loved his wife, Hannah. And so he gives Peninnah and her children resources to bring as an offering. But then what does he do for Hannah? He gives her a double portion. But a double portion is plenty for most people. Okay. If you give us, if you give someone double of what they need, they'll, they'll be quiet. They'll hush. (laughs) If you give them double of what they need, sometimes people, they stop praying. They stop praising. They're like, God has blessed me. They stop having gratitude. They stop coming to church. They stop engaging in fellowship because they have everything they need. I'm not saying always. I'm just saying this can sometimes happen. And often we find ourselves only praying when we want something from God. Yikes, that's happened to me before. If Aaron, if I knew Aaron and I knew what he wanted, but the only time he came and talked to me was when he wanted something, I probably wouldn't give him what he wanted. 
Because I'd be like, he's not going to come back and talk to me anymore. I would rather have fellowship and communion, and communion with you than give you what you want. And I'm not saying that God doesn't, I'm not saying that God does that or God does that all the time. But you see what I'm trying to say here? It's if we go to him and we're coming with, oh, I just want a present, God. I just want what you have to give me, God. But I'm not actually walking in fellowship with you. I'm not walking in communion with you. Then all I want is your blessing and not who you are. And so the distraction of the double portion is saying that, okay, God, even if you give me everything in this world, everything this world has to offer, I don't want to get distracted from you. I don't want to get distracted from my desperation for you. I still want to lean into dependency and hunger for you. Because if it, if it's um, a distraction to your desperation, it's actually not a blessing. <sighs> the reason why God gives us the double portion is for it to be worship for him, is for us to actually turn it into worship. Not for us to um, be more flashy, not for us to have more Instagram followers, not for us to, uh, you know, look like we have our lives all together, look like we can impress people and get business. But the reason why God gives us that double portion is for us to turn it back to him and give it to him as worship. The second thing that can distract us from our desperation is competition and comparison. I don't know if you remember in the, in the passage, but it says that Penina and Hannah were rivals. And you're like, wait a second, is this a competition? Well, it must have been. It must have been if they said they were rivals. There must have been some sort of competition. Hannah's looking at Penina. She's getting pregnant. She's having children. In that day and age, it meant that your, you know, your lineage would go on. You'd have an inheritance for your, you know, to pass down to someone. And she is feeling that rivalry and that competition. And rivalry does mean like what we think it means, you know, of that sort of competition, but it also means narrow or tight. And it's kind of a good picture of what competition looks like because when you're in that narrow and tight place, that's all you can see. All you can fix your eyes on is that one thing and you're, you're going after it rather than going after God. You're going after, how can I be the best business person? How can I make the most sales? How can I, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank for your situation. But it's all we can see in that narrow and that tight place. And God is saying, you need to open that up and you need to stop fixing your eyes on what everyone else is doing and fix your eyes on me and what I'm doing in your life. Because the reason why we feel like a competition with someone is because we think that they have what's actually ours. But God doesn't give something that's meant for us. He doesn't give it away to anyone else. He keeps it for us. And if God hasn't given it to us yet, he will, but it's just not his timing right now. And I've dealt with this in my own life and own competition. Like even in my spiritual walk, in my personal life and in my spiritual walk too, where, you know, you're looking at other churches online and you're like, wow, look at what they're doing. They're doing so good. And you start feeling the competition and you're like, wait a second. It's not about that. It's not about you know, how big their following is. It, it's not about how many people are sat in their chairs. It's about, am I going hard after God and what he has for me? Am I going hard after God and what he has for this church? And when we're in that narrow and tight place, we, we can't see what God is doing and it distracts us from our desperation. And then the last thing is 
well-meaning people. See, Elkanah, he comes to Hannah and he says, am I not more to you than 10 sons? And he's trying to distract her and, you know, he's well-meaning and he's trying to cheer her up and say, don't worry, Hannah, it doesn't matter that you're not pregnant. You could have 10 sons, you could have a thousand sons, but look, am I not better to you than that? And she's like, it's not about that. And the passionate are always going to offend the apathetic. And the people that are going after something are always going to offend the people that are stationary. And it's saying, you know, people come up and they're well-meaning and they're like, hey, you need to just quiet down a little bit, okay? You just got to calm down. It's, you don't need to be like that to get God's attention. And you're like, no, it's not about that. I'm just like, everything in me is like, God, I'm hungry. God, I'm desperate. And well-meaning people can distract us from desperation. And we can't let them do that. We can't let people come and offer us food when the food we need is from God. And so as we're, as we're going forward in the next couple months, I just, I want to encourage each and every one of us to allow God to start kind of stirring in your heart again hunger and desperation for him. Be hungry and desperate for his word. The word of God is so good and so important and such nourishment for our souls. We have to be reading that and standing on the truth because what I was saying before about, you know, the biblical definition, when the world tries to change definitions, I want to look at that biblical word and say, no, this is truth. This is what God is saying. This is what God is speaking. And we want to be in a position of saying, okay, it's not just about this one Sunday service and what happens here, it's actually about what God is doing out in our cities through us. As Kelly was sharing, like we are the church. Remember that series we did like a month ago? We are the church. And it's not about these four walls. It's about God moving in our businesses. It's about God moving in our families. It's about God moving in our schools. And we need to stay in a place that's hungry and desperate and dependent on him for all that we need. Because in that place of desperation, there's a blessing that God has for us in that. And I don't know what that is, and I don't know what that looks like, but I know that it's there. Because we see it all through scripture. And Jesus, he He says all throughout the New Testament to not get distracted from the blessing of what the blessing is doing. Don't let the blessing distract you from your desperation. Amen? Let's stand together. Jesus, we're just, we come to you this morning with our hearts open to you. And I ask God that you would come right now and you would satisfy our heart's hunger for you. You know, there's a tension of, I want, I'm fully satisfied in God and yet I'm so unsatisfied knowing there's so much more. God, would you meet us in that place of tension and come and and fill our hearts with your spirit? Come and fill us right now with your spirit. If you're just feeling like a stirring in your heart for more of God, if you're just hungry for him, I just want to open up the front this morning 
for you to come forward and to just say, God, here I am. I'm desperate for you. I'm hungry for you. I'm sorry, God, for any way that I've become complacent. I'm sorry for any way that I've come and attended a service and thought that that checked a box of a relationship with you. God, would you fill the deep longings of our hearts? Would you come and bring a blessing? Would you come and meet us in our desperation? Come and meet us right where we're at. We're hungry for you, God, as a body of believers, as a community going after you together, God. We're saying we're hungry for you. We don't want to play church. We don't want to show up and nothing happen. We want the real deal, God. We want a move of your presence. We want a move of your spirit. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.